Welcome to another edition of the Battling Pickle Podcast, the podcast where I, Dr. John Westfall, Associate Professor of Psychology at Delta State University, go through whatever is on my mind for that week and whatever content I feel is useful. This week, we're going to talk about testing and exams at the higher education level. Should be interesting. So as a professor, I give exams or quizzes or tests or whatever you want to call them. And we're getting into testing season, which if you haven't been on a college campus in a while, this uh, might come as a shock to you, but tests and exams, they tend to bunch up. It used to be back in the dark ages of college that you had a final exam and maybe a midterm, and those would be the two grades that you got in your courses. And then round about, um, I guess around the 80s and 90s, we started to see dispersion of testing, where instead of doing two big exams, you did four exams. Uh, at the time, cumulative exams were always the norm, and then it became, let's instead of doing cumulative, let's do exams that only covered the material between the last exam and now. And today, there are even college courses where exams and quizzes are a weekly item. You might have a weekly quiz that covers everything from that week. This means that uh, there's a lot of variation in examining and exam scoring and exam testing and exam creation. But it also means that uh, if you do decide to do something that is not too little, not too much, you're probably going to look at doing an exam every three to four weeks. And the semester starts for the same at the same time for everyone. It ends for the same time for everyone. And so you find yourself doing an exam right around week four, another one right around week eight, another one right around week 12, and another one right around week 14, maybe 13, um, and or the final, depending on how you're setting things up. And so I'm teaching four psychology classes this fall, and I'm looking at a list of when my exams are, and they are literally all the first exams are right around the same time. The second of September is the first exam at the end of this week for my research methods class. And then next week, I have exams in learning and cognition, history of psychology, and abnormal psychology. And then right around uh, the middle of September into late September is second exam. And then it's really uncanny. And my wife happened to look at this list and said, did you realize you did this? And Sort of, I realized that, sort of, I didn't. So yes, there is an exam season, even if you've never thought about it. Exams also have changed function and form in the last 20 years, 30 years. Uh, The idea of a multiple choice exam at the collegiate level up until about, again, the 1980s, 1990s was seen as just absolutely crazy. You want your students to be able to write on the information that they're being presented, unless maybe it's a math course or a science course, in which case you're having them solve problems. But there's going to be writing involved. And then right around the time we started to get obsessed with standardized testing in this country, we also started to say, well, maybe multiple choice has a role 
at the higher education level. And by the time I got into graduate school in the early 2000s, it was really unheard of to give your graduate students multiple choice exams when I started graduate school. And by the end of graduate school, they had started to even creep into graduate education, which was bizarre. Usually as a graduate student, you are told you need to be able to talk about this material and it does not seem right that you would be just recalling enough information to answer a multiple choice question properly. So how is it that as a professor who teaches a variety of undergraduate levels, I decide on my exams? And I figure it's a good exercise in talking through my philosophy on testing, my philosophy on evaluation, in a medium that is accessible to my students and in a medium that might uh, be more useful than my tenure and promotion portfolio, which is where I previously articulated some of these things. My view on testing is more than content recall. Recall and recognition of content is great, but we have to be honest with ourselves and know that our students will likely live in a world where they always can get information that's objective information quickly. You know, they can call uh, someone and ask, or they can look it up on the internet, or they have a textbook, they have something with them. So my belief on exams is that I don't necessarily want to know where my students have holes in their knowledge, although that will come through. I want to be able to give my students an opportunity to show me that they have mastered information that I deem is important. That sounds really high and mighty, but after all, I'm the one that has the advanced degree. My job is to tell them what's important. I had a person one time argue with me and say, well, professors shouldn't be telling students which things to value more. And I argued back that that's the whole job of an educator is to direct students toward what should be more valuable to them in the pursuit of their long-term goals. You know, I'm not going to tell a student that playing Xbox for a week straight is going to be as valuable to them as spending a night each week or a day or an hour each week, each night uh, studying. That's just not, you're not going to be able to do as well in the workforce. So in some ways, I have to be the one that tells you value this over this. But that being said, it also means that if I'm using that as my criteria, it's something that I know should be meaningful in the workforce. This is where giving a mix of multiple choice and short answer essay can be much more powerful than one or the other. And I'll give you an example in the class that I am teaching right now that's Research Methods 1. And in Research Methods, they're going to take their first exam this Friday. I have been walking them through some of the very basics of experimental uh, nomenclature, the words that we use, the vocabulary that we use, the way that we describe things. So we started off on different methodologies, things like description, survey research, experiment, quasi-experiment, single cell, those sorts of things. Then we talked about variables, independent variables, dependent variables. We talked about constructs and definitions of constructs. And this week we are talking about ethical issues. 
And in my mind, all three of these kind of fit together to lay the groundwork of if you're doing research, you need to be proficient in these three areas. Now, what is more useful for me to understand if a student understands the material? Well, I could, for example, when it comes to an operational definition, I could have a question that's a multiple choice question that says, what is an operational definition? And then have four answer options, three that would be foils that are not the correct option and one that would be the correct option. If you get it right, uh, it's an, an all or nothing sort of thing. You get the whole points. If not, you get few points. And that's why people will typically use a lot of multiple choice options so that any one question doesn't have a overly large impact on the grade. But it also means that you're grading more. And it also means that you're putting a student in a situation where they have to put out the information more and more. It's more mentally taxing. I think, honestly, a 50-choice, multiple-choice exam is much harder than a 10-question short answer exam because I have to mentally think through 50 different questions versus 10. And honestly, I don't necessarily care if you know the textbook definition of an operational definition. It's important, but what's more important is being able to write an operational definition. And so on this exam, I will likely ask a short answer question along the lines of, what is an operational definition for this construct? And give them a construct to define operationally. That way, I can tell pretty easily if they know what an operational definition is and, more importantly, how to use it. And it doesn't have to be a long, short answer. Uh, the reason a short answer is that it's one or two lines. So then where is multiple choice useful? Well, multiple choice is useful in situations where there are very fine details that you might want to make sure that someone has a handle on. So giving a, a scenario and then saying, in this scenario, the amount of times that a, someone says I love, that someone says I love you, is that your dependent variable? Is that your independent variable? Is that your uh, extraneous variable? Is it something completely else? Situations where there might be value in knowing something promptly and knowing it from a, an exact perspective. And so multiple choice exams do have a role, but I think often we mistake quantity for quality. I had a colleague who used to give 50 to 100 question multiple choice exams. I don't think that did anything more than stress out a student and I know that when I give a 10-question final exam that's all short answer, which I've done, the grades don't radically change. It's not like someone is able to, if they're getting a C in the class, which is a 7 out of 10 average, they tend to get between a 7 and 8 out of 10 on my short answer exam. And so the next time you're thinking about how exams work, it's obviously a good idea if you can to talk to your uh, professor if you're a student, or talk to your colleagues if you're a professor, or talk about it, 
and make sure that you know why you're using the number of items you're using and how you're using them. But remember that quantity does not make for more quality. It simply makes for a longer experience. And maybe that's what you're going for. Maybe you want students to have to have that level of endurance. But if not, be open to a short answer. It might save you some grading time and might also give the students an opportunity to show you how well they know the material versus simply the fact that they don't know the exact definition. Sometimes a student can talk around something in a way that I know that they're BSing me, but at least there's some grains of truth in there I can give them some credit for versus a all or nothing answer. This has been another episode of Battling Fickle Podcast. Remember, our podcast is hosted on anchor.fm slash battlingfickle. You can go there and leave a message. I can answer that on the podcast. And I'd be happy to hear your thoughts on this episode. Have a great week. Thank you.